And uh, as you come and we worship the Lord together on the first day of the week, we're offering up the first fruits of our time. And I believe that God is going to take these first fruits and he'll multiply them for the purposes of the kingdom of God. And so thanks for coming and worshiping the Lord together. As we bring in all of the tithes, as we bring in the offerings for the furtherance of the gospel on the foreign mission field in our home field here, and as we bring alms to minister to those who are without in our area we're asking that God would bless. And so thank you for your faithfulness. Aren't you thankful that we serve a generous God? Can I get an amen? And Lord, may we, may we grasp. Lord, we ask that you would help us to grasp the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of God, the love of God, this generous God who has lavished his love upon us and he has lavished us with every need met in Christ Jesus. And so, Father, as we honor you and as we honor your word, we ask that you would bless the tithes, we ask that you would bless the offerings, and we ask that, God, you would bless the alms as they come. Help us with wisdom to administrate these resources, these stewardships, that we would be good stewards of that which has been entrusted to us, and that we, we would be actively engaged in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers, for serving us. Well, this morning we have junior hires over here that are on their way back with Joel and Jenny Leckold. And so if you're a junior hire or you think you are, uh, you can join those guys. Oh, not if you think you are. You stay here. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for uh, just their, their ministry in the junior high. We're thrilled. And... Uh, want to uh, invite Adam Neal. Adam Neal is in the house. If he would come, we have a couple of things going on and we are serving in the area of the homeless and warming centers and Adam's going to share uh, a need. I just want to make uh, notice of the 55-gallon uh, fiber drum that's up on stage and this is, we are we are helping out over the Clackamas Service Center with jackets, blankets, socks, hats, and those kinds of things. So if you have uh, new or gently used items like that, please bring them on Sunday morning. You'll see the drum up on stage. We can fill this thing to overflowing, and we'll get the stuff to them in the beginning of the week, and we'll reload it for this coming, uh, the coming week, if you will. And so we're helping to uh, bless and clothe and be a part. And be sure that you're praying for those items because those people that will be receiving our neighbors, our guests that will be receiving these items, how awesome it will be when they receive them. The gratitude that they express will be able to say, not only are we giving these in the name of Jesus, but they have been prayed for, you have been prayed for as the recipient of this, and we're asking God's best in your life. Adam, share our needs. Uh, microphone is right here, my friend, unless you want to get close to my cheek. Uh, nope. <laughs> um, so... I know a lot of you, I've, I've mentioned that I'm doing the uh, volunteer coordinating for Clackamas County and the All One community. Um, I'm always looking for volunteers. And when I was sitting there thinking about what I wanted to say, it's really hard to compel you to, um, I mean, it's not hard to compel you to want to volunteer your time, but like for me, uh, I was thinking about when I drive around, I always go off those freeway on-ramps or off-ramps, and I always see people with signs, and I always am hoping that I have to go straight or turn right, because I, like, I don't want to be close because I don't want to feel guilty, you know, and, and I always, 
I inevitably make eye contact with them, and then I realize that like I don't carry any cash, and I don't ever have anything I can give them in the car, so I always kind of look away or put my rear view, you know, my, uh, my visor. visor, put my visor down or just something. And then as soon as I go by, I'm like, oh, man, that, that was hard. But man, I, I wish I had something that I could do for them. I'm always on my way somewhere. I'm always, my time is always for something. But the warming centers give us a very unique opportunity to go and spend our time. You know, I, I usually sleep during a lot of those times, but for any of you who are able, uh, we have three shifts every night that the wind chill drops below 33 degrees to go to these warming centers and give of our time, which I know for many of you is even more valuable than your finances. Mm. Um, and then, and then I also, just thinking about Jesus, like he chose to spend his time with the poor and the needy. And I don't want to spend my time with them. That's just my flesh. That's, I don't want to do that. But in going and do the, doing that, you get to see a part of people's lives and a whole people group where they've been excluded, they've been isolated, they're stuck in addiction, and really nobody cares for them. And you can see that when you go. They're just, they're people that uh, aren't, aren't really given any attention. And they're, they're, um, they're those people on the side of the road that I have to look away from when I'm driving. And so I'm just, I'm just asking, if any of you have any opportunity in your schedule, I need volunteers to staff a warming center. Uh, right now, I need two people tonight for two different centers. That's, so that's four people total tonight that I'm looking for between Oregon City and North Clackamas. Uh, the weather's showing us that, w- that our, we're going to be open until the 16th. And then I have two more dates that I put on the schedule that are mandatory open days for Clackamas County to kind of take account of how many of the homeless community are actually taking advantage of the services that we're providing. So if you have any interest, if you have any uh, ability, please come talk to me after service. And I can put you on my email list, and you'll get an email every time I update the schedule and I need volunteers. So, Amen. Thanks. Thank you, Adam. Praise the Lord. Hey, let's, uh, let's also, uh, a lot of people are just concerned because I, I don't know what it's like to serve. I don't know what to expect. And we have a uh, website, iHeartClackamas, where there are uh, frequently asked questions and we have answers to those questions. And I think we actually have an orientation video. Is the orientation video up on iHeartClackamas yet? No. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we're working on that, which will give you a little bit of grounds uh, in terms of uh, what to expect. Uh, I've served on a number of uh, uh, the shifts, and I will just tell you, it's some of the most marvelous time spent uh, loving on our neighbors who are in a less fortunate space than we are. I know Chris Moore was there on a late late night this last week. Thanks for serving, Chris. And many others have already served, and so I know Adam has been there many, many times. Um, Yeah, it's... let me, let me also try and inspire you this way, if I can. Jesus encouraged us with the parable of the great banquet. The servants went out, and we're the servants, and he's the master. And he sent the servants out to notify all those who were invited to the banquet. And they went out, 
And one by one, those that were invited made excuses why they couldn't come. And so the servants came back and told the master what the response was. And he said, we'll go to the lame and the maimed, the blind and the sick. And he says, we have. Incidentally, that would be you. Look at your neighbor and say, you're lame. <laughs> we are the lame, the maimed, the blind and the sick. We are the lame, the maimed, the blind and the sick. But the servants reported there's still room. There's still room. And Jesus, the master, said, go to the highways and to the hedges. Adam just referenced every time we come to an off-ramp from the highway, someone will be there with a sign. There is much that we have to offer. You may not offer cash, but you could roll your window down and say, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? Or you could simply say, I am praying for you. You could carry stuff in your car and hand those things out. Food items, that's a marvelous way to love. You could carry around little cards to say where the warming centers are. That's so helpful. It helps us. But all those things being said, he said, go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. Well, hey, what's more compelling? On a cold winter's night, What's more compelling than a warm, safe, and secure place to sleep? That's very compelling. And oftentimes they can get warm soup all the way up till 10 o'clock at night. So from like 7 to 10, there's warm soup and there's always warm coffee. So that's a compelling thing. And so you and I get to be those that love on them while they're there. We've compelled them to come. They're coming. It'd be great if some of God's kids were there letting their lights so shine. I, I, I was there just the other night, and uh, I had multiple men ask me, hey, can I get a Bible? Hey, can I get a Bible? And so we're going to make sure that the, 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 the location at uh, the Central Nazarene is stocked with Bibles, and everybody knows where they are so they can just grab one because we want them to have the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. And uh, so th that being said, that's one compelling reason. Here, here's another. How about the parable of the Good Samaritan? Right? Some just walked by. The priest walked by. The Levite walked by. That was his brother. That was their brother. That was their neighbor in the street, half dead, beaten to a pulp. Some of these folks have had their lives beat up. They may not be beat up physically, but you know sometimes emotionally, you know sometimes socially, you know sometimes even religiously beat up. It was the Samaritan scooped him up, put him on his own donkey, took him to the inn, got him set up in the warm, dry, safe place, and tended to him and said, whatever additional expenses, I'll cover them on my way back through. He tended to them. Hey, that's a compelling reason because the question is asked by Jesus, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? This, man, we got to go love on people and be like Jesus. Be his hands, be his feet. Can I get an amen? It's awfully quiet in here. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. They're like, man, PD, you're kind of pushing us this morning. <laughs> amen. Amen. That's right. Hey, listen, David, King David, he said, I will not offer to the Lord anything that costs me nothing. You want to offer worship to the Lord. 
that which costs you something. You have to over, you and I, we get to overcome our own, are you ready for this? Laziness. Anybody else lazy? Raise your hand with me so I can feel comfortable. We got to get off, we got to get off. Some people say, well, I don't feel lead. I say, well, you need to get rid of the lead <laughs> and get going. Amen. Okay, enough said. Uh, we have some other announcements, I'm sure. Uh, hey, this is exciting. We have some very exciting things happening. And we're in the midst of some transition as a result of that with the, with the uh, HCF Damascus campus. We have the facilities over in Gladstone. We're praying about launching a new work there. Or are we to be moving this work there and then looking to relaunch somewhere else, maybe in Milwaukee? We're just, we're asking God for wisdom. What are our next steps? What's next? And it's the beginning of a new year. And so we are officially launching 40 days of prayer and fasting starting next Sunday, January 20th. January 20th all the way through February 28th, a month and 10 days of prayer and fasting, 40 days to be praying for not only the needs of our congregation, but the needs of the body of Christ within our community. We are believing God for awakening that people will have their eyes and ears and their hearts open to the gospel. We're praying for revival, that those who are part of the kingdom of God that have been sitting dormant or laying or not participating in a local fellowship, that we would help get them connected to a local fellowship that's teaching the word of God in our community. Can I get an amen? And we're believing for God's direction with this campus, with God's direction. I mean, we could end up back at Sunnyside Elementary School. Who knows? That whole project's taken a year, and it will be completed in March. And so, Lord, grant us direction. How do we move forward? How do we proceed in these things? And so I'm excited about that. You'll get more information next Sunday. And I believe... And so we are holding fast, our eldership and our deacons and our leadership team, we are believing that 2019 will be a year of the return of prodigal children, that the prodigals would come home. And our prayer is that the body of Christ would be ready for the prodigals to come home, that we wouldn't have the disposition of the older brother who's outside going, hey, man, You never offered the fatted calf for me and my buddies. But we would rather be on the inside celebrating when folks come home. And we welcome them with an embrace and say, man, it's great to have you here. Let's worship the king together. And that we would be in the space where we would let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Amen. We don't have to do the Holy Spirit's work. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's let God navigate those things in the hearts of peoples that they're struggling. Let's let the Spirit of God work and enable them to be more than overcomers in Christ. So that's how we're praying and we're believing. Well, praise the Lord. I'm thrilled this morning because we've, over the last couple of months, had the opportunity to hear testimony. We've had the opportunity to have folks share about uh, the variety of different ministries that we have in our midst. And uh, I, I became acquainted with a young man named Reuben uh, not too many, well, it's probably more than a half a year ago. I know Reuben's been engaged with Hillside for a number, number of, ye- well, probably about a year-ish. He got first connected with uh, our Logos group, our young adults, and uh, he's been an active member of our worship teams, and uh, he is just an incredible young man. And uh, I asked him, well, he asked me, he said, man, I hear folks sharing their testimony.
testimony. I've, I want to share my testimony if that's possible. And he's got a marvelous testimony of the work of Christ. And also he's got a song that he has written. So Reuben, will you just come and will you share your testimony this morning? And uh, Hillside, will you give Reuben a warm welcome this morning as he comes to share the testimony, uh, his testimony in the Lord. this thing on? Okay. Hello, everyone. My name is Ruben. Um, I will share my testimony. I'm pretty nervous, but here we go. All right. Um, I think I should start from the beginning. I was born into a Christian family. My parents were leaders at their church um, at the time, and the Lord soon called me to call them to pastor a church. Growing up as a pastor's kid, it was sometimes hard. I always felt like I needed to be on my best behavior and not goof off like all the other kids, uh, but it wasn't too bad. I always admired my dad and the love and passion he put into his work, um, the work he did. Uh, my dad worked very long hours, came home and tended the flock. He never passed through church for too long. The Lord always took him to congregations that needed to pick me up. And um, I'm going to try to say, stop saying um, by the way. Um, one time we ended up all the way down in Oklahoma, and that's a whole story in itself. But the three years we were there, uh, the Lord really worked in our family and made us stronger and made us more connected. As I got older, I wanted to be more involved. I didn't want to warm a chair. I wanted to be, uh, I, I had an interest in music. I remember as a five-year-old kid seeing someone play the drums uh, during worship, and I was mesmerized. When the opportunity presented itself, I took it and never looked back. I started playing drums on worship teams, and I worked real hard because I wanted to be the best I could be. And when the opportunity presented itself to play other instruments, I took it, and I worked real hard to be the best I could be. Through my teen years and into my 20s, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought because I was a pastor's kid, I was a good person, um, and I played on worship teams that all my bases were covered. But I was soon to find out that that wasn't true, and my faith was really going to be tested. It was 2016. I had finished medical assisting school, and I had just gotten hired with Providence at one of the internal medicine clinics. I felt like things were coming together. I was 22. I had a good job with decent pay and benefits. I was content at my church, um, and I was going to work really hard towards my goals of the future. As a young man in his early 20s, I felt like I could conquer anything, overcome anything, achieve anything through hard work and determination, which is only partially true. I was leading worship for the Friday prayer service at my church when in the middle of one of the songs, I felt an excruciating pain in my lower abdomen. It was the worst pain I had ever felt, but somehow I was able to finish the set. I sat in the back of the chapel and waited for the pain to go away, but it didn't. Um, I asked my best friend, who was there to take me to the ER. Uh, by the time uh, we got there, I was crying and I had never, because I had never experienced pain like that before. After that night, started the process of visiting different doctors, different specialists, time to do CT scans, blood work, ultrasounds. Before I knew it, I was in the oncologist's office being told I had cancer and that I needed to start chemotherapy as soon as possible. I remember the doctor telling me all kinds of information, the kind of cancer I had, the type of chemo I was going to do. But all I could think was, how am I going to tell my parents? Uh, My mom's going to be destroyed. 
for the first time, I was confronted with something I couldn't run from, something I would have to deal on my own, deal with on my own. I didn't return home for almost a whole day. I called my buddy Elias and I cried on the phone while I told him the news. When we went, uh, then we went to go watch Batman vs. Superman and uh, got some food. <laughs> uh, when I finally returned home that night and told my family we all cried, we held each other and prayed because the chapter we were entering was uncharted territory for us. <clears throat> Surprisingly, during chemo, uh, staying motivated and keeping my faith strong wasn't hard. I knew that I was going to be healed. All I had to do was complete my treatment and trust that the Lord was going to do his work. I remember thinking about Job and how he lost everything but stayed firm, stayed loyal to the Lord, and I was going to be Job. There was definitely hard days during treatment. When I lost my hair was one of them. I saw my body deteriorate slowly, and I became weak, um, tired all the time, but I knew it was all momentary and that it was all going to end and I would soon be able to get back to my life. I kept planning how I was going to bounce back and everything was going to be like before. I just had to work hard and be determined. Uh, you know, I, I pictured like the Rocky montages, like the workout montages in my head, how I was gonna <laughs> bounce back. Uh, on the 15th of September, uh, I was told I was cancer free. And, uh, and I, I remember, Thanks. And I remember my doctor saying, congratulations, you can return to your life now. And as I walked out of the clinic, I thought to myself, wait, how, how do I go back? How do I restart? For the next couple months, I just rested. All I thought about was slowly recovering my health and then work on everything else after my body had healed. Uh, while, I while I recovered, I started down a dark path and soon found myself spiraling. I entered a deep depression that consumed everything I loved, everything I was. I was isolating myself from my family and friends. I wanted to reach out because I felt so alone, but I didn't know how. I was surrounded by a loving family yet felt like there was no one around me. Uh, my, my passion for music, which I had since I was a five-year-old kid, um, was gone. I stopped playing guitar at home I stopped writing riffs for songs, and every single week, I always contemplated uh, quitting the worship team and stopped going to church. Um, everything that made me, me, was being stripped away, and I was losing myself in this perpetual sorrow. My sorrow would turn into anger and frustration, and then back into deep sorrow. My family tried to reach out to me every day, but I pushed them back, not knowing why. I myself didn't know why I felt the way I did. I had so much to be grateful for, but I was blinded. I, couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't see everything the Lord was blessing me with every day. All I could see was how bad things were. One day, my sister Abby told me about a young adults group that she went to a year before and had recently gone back to. She told me that it was a good group of people and she thought I would like it. And I told her in these exact words, no, I don't wanna meet new people. But she insisted and I agreed to go. I arrived to the young adults group with negative thoughts in my head, but all that sl uh, changed slowly. The group wasn't anything flashy. All it was was young men and women meeting to fellowship and study the Bible in a home. But these young men and women were different. These people wanted to be there. They wanted to study scripture and truly cared about each other. 
And for the first time in a long time, I felt at home and I felt as if my worries didn't matter. The name of this young adults group was called The Word, uh, a group that was being held at Dan and Ken's house, a group that Dan and Josh were teaching the word at and where God started speaking to my life again. It was almost a year from when I was diagnosed and a year later God started rebuilding my life. I consider the first day I went to the, that young adults group uh, as the turning point in, in the battle I was fighting. From that moment on, I wasn't losing, I was winning. From that day till now, uh, my life has completely changed in a way I never would have thought. I decided to completely trust in the Lord and let him show me the way uh, instead of trying to, do it, try, trying to do it all on my own. On the, path, uh, on the path of healing my soul, I found my passion for music and worship again. I found a new church that I can call home. I have made amazing friends uh, that, I, that love the Lord and encourage me. I have found a, a peace in knowing that God is in control. Um, looking back at everything that has happened in the last two years, I see now that the Lord was passing me through the fire. God was purifying me. I was someone that loved and trusted God, but my faith had never been tested. Why the Lord chose, me, chose to pass me through a, through a fire so hot, I don't know. What I do know is that now I'm stronger in the Lord. Now I know where my faith lies. I know that no matter what comes ahead, I've already seen the hand of God work in my life. I know that God is good and God is faithful always. No matter wind, rain, sunshine, storm, God is there. At my lowest, when I felt alone, he was there. He was with me. I wish I could tie the story up with a bow. I'm still conquering and fighting my own battles, as we all are. The moral of the story is not to say, trust in the Lord and eventually everything will be rainbows and sunshine, but that it doesn't matter where you are, who you are, where you've been, or who you've been. With God, you can overcome. With God, we can overcome all. <clears throat> and so uh, now I'm going to do the song. This is uh, just a song that I wrote just to, that kind of represents the dark time in my life, but at the same time, um, that says, you know, that God found me and when I was lost, and then my darkest hour, um, he showed me the light. So, here we go. Trying to hold on to all my previous pain I need to let it go and call out to his name Cause in my darkest hour I found the light I was so afraid That I'd be left behind But you found me 
Walking through the shadows of every single day I saw my mind and soul slowly slip away I tried to hold on to try and keep control But all I found was myself further from the Lord In my darkest hour I found the light I was so afraid that I'd be left behind But you found me and opened my eyes In my darkest hour, I found the light And try to go my way Just thinking of what I wanted for myself Now you've shown me the light And I can't see That you're the only one that I needed me In my darkest hour I found the light but I was so afraid That I'd be left behind But you found me Open my eyes In my darkest hour I found the light I found the light I found the light I found the light Thank you. Thanks, Ruben. It's awesome, bro. Proud of you, bud. Amen. Praise God. So good. So good. Uh, if you'd like to share a testimony, uh, we would love to hear from you and uh, what God has done in and through and in your life. And so we'll have opportunities to have some live testimonies. We'll be videotaping some 2019, a year of what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing. Can I get an amen? Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 4. As we continue our walk through the New Testament, as we continue our walk through the book of John or the Gospel of John, if you will. 
And uh, we come to chapter 4. Chapter 4 is a familiar story for most of us. It's the story of Jesus at Jacob's well. As he goes through from Judea to Galilee, he makes that declaration, we must go through Samaria. And it is there that the disciples will depart from him and he will meet a woman who's coming out in the sixth hour uh, to get water and the encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. And so follow along with me as I read from the New King James Version of the Bible. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you uh, get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, or gave us the well, and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. And Jesus said, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, Well, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Pray with me this morning. Father, in these next few moments, 
as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, I pray that our hearts would be challenged. And Lord, that we would glean from this narrative, this story, and this uh, ministry of Jesus Christ, that Lord, our lives would be transformed. And God, that we would be more like Jesus because we've been in his word, we've been studying his word, we've looked at him and Lord, seen and grown. So God be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said a strong amen. Amen. Well, I have a number of thoughts. I thought what we might do this morning is uh, just walk through these verses, kind of verse by verse, in some cases maybe word by word, and uh, let's look at and glean some lessons. At the end of the day, there's really four things that I hope that we will walk away with, and it really is Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Say that with me. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. He is in the process of bringing peace in all of the conflicts of life. In fact, the, the prophet Isaiah, who declared these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He said, and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That tells me and speaks to us and says, if we will allow his governess in an ever-increasing manner in our lives, that our peace that is supplied by the Prince of Peace will also increase in our lives. The more governess we give him in our lives, the more I submit to his word and his authority in my life, the greater amount of peace that will be made manifest in my life. Can I get an Amen. Oh, that's a big deal. And so Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, he will bring peace in the midst of the conflicts of life. And believe me, we see them in the story. So these four things, I'll just give them to you up front because I know our time is limited. He brings and makes peace amidst all of the familial strife and generational and genealogical kinds of strife. So you and your family bloodline, however many siblings, however many cousins, however many aunts and uncles, moms and dads, and all of that stuff, that bloodline stuff. And everybody here, just kind of nod your head if you know there can be conflicts in the midst of family in the bloodline, right? Phew, <laughs> who knew, right? And yet, wow. And then in the family of God, in this room right here, there could be conflicts. And Jesus, if we will give him governess in our lives, he'll bring peace where there's been striving. He'll bring peace in the midst of relational things. Okay, he brings and makes peace amidst all political, ethnical, and racial strife. How many of you know that in a highly sensitive arena politically, Man, it's easy to take offense. <laughs> I mean, all you have to do is go on social media, right? And see some political post or somebody posting something and we make an assumption that it's political and it just, all of a sudden, it can just go blistering. And people say things where you can't read intonations and you can't read facial expressions because it's in print. And we go, wow. 
or text messages go out or emails go out and it can just go south in a hurry and all of the ethnical and racial strifes that are going on. And truly the prejudice that you and I have that oftentimes we're blind to. Like at the warming shelter, when people refer to human beings as those people, as if somehow they were different than us. Right? Does it make sense? I mean, that's, that's a real deal. You and I, sitting in this room as children of God, we can, we can have prejudices that we are completely unawares of. And we need to have our eyes unveiled and realize Jesus has none. He has none. He loves all people equal without partiality. Lord, help us. He brings and makes peace amidst all social prejudice and religious, spiritual strife. Social. I mean, we just, the, how ironic that in chapter 3, he's talking to the guy. The guy. He is like the pinnacle of aspiration amongst the Jews. Nicodemus, he is the teacher in Israel. He is the guy up on the top of the social scale. And then you come to chapter 4, and you talk about the bottom, 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 bottom of the barrel. That's who this woman is. And we find that in the context of what's written here, and we'll elude to some of those things in a few moments. There's no social prejudice with the Lord. In fact, what I love about these two stories, if you would compare the interactions that he has with Nicodemus and the interactions that he has with the, with, with the Samaritan woman, it's absolutely fascinating. He is absolutely blunt with Nicodemus, a guy who should know. He's just like flagrant with. And this gal who is confused, he shows this tremendous grace. And actually, in both cases, it's equal grace. But what we don't see in Nicodemus is a response. What we do see in the Samaritan woman is an immediate response. It's fascinating. The parable of the great banquet. Those who are invited don't come. Those that are broken, they do. That should say something to you and me, right? To go to the highways and the hedges and let's compel them. Hey, let's fill every seat in here with some folks that are homeless or downtrodden or marginalized in their living. Can I get an amen? How about, how about when the scripture says, hey, when the barns are empty, there's no mess. But when the stalls are full, it's messy. Wouldn't it be great to come to a church that's just messy? Can I get an amen? Yeah, because in all reality, if everybody put their masks down on the table, you've got messy in your life too. Right? Yeah. Anybody here arrived? You're like... Well, Pastor Dave, come and see me because I've arrived. <laughs> I don't think anybody would sign on that dotted line and say, yeah, that's me. Come and check my life out. No, no. And so, messy, messy, messies. All right, so, so those social presidents. And he brings and makes peace amongst all people with the Father. I love that. Our Jesus, the call has gone out to all men. Okay, so I'm going to try and keep track of time and keep us under 14 minutes to cover these 26 verses. We may cut short and start pick up next week, but it says uh, verse 1 through 
through verse 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and parted, departed to Galilee. Uh, but he needed to go through Samaria. Jesus and John's baptisms at this time were baptisms of repentance. That should be saying something to everybody here. There's, there, the, the preparing of the way of the Lord, the preparing of even the work of the Lord, involves our repentance from sin. Someone say amen. amen. Yeah, and if there's sin still in your life, which there is, and you're aware of it, allow the Spirit of God to empower you to deny your flesh, take up your cross daily, die to self, say no. Right? Paul writing in his epistles, he says, uh, in, in Titus, in his a pastoral epistle, he says, the Spirit of God, he, he has, the, the grace of God, he says, has appeared to all men. And it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions in this present age. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 12. To live upright, soberly, so that, I mean, God's grace in our lives, He's teaching us to say no. So if there's, if we should be in the place of repentance. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah. Repentance, doing a 180. So if there's stuff going on in our lives and the Spirit of God has pointed his finger at that area of your life, don't settle. Don't settle with complacency and apathy or like somehow I just don't have to address that. Don't compartmentalize your life. In fact, I would suggest to you that you will cease in new revelation from God's word if you won't deal with the things that the Spirit of God has already revealed to you. Does that make sense? You become spiritually stagnant. God does not intend for any of us to be that way. We should be always growing in the Lord. And part of that is just simply obeying the Spirit of God who is highlighting from the Scripture truth in our lives. Amen. Okay. Judea is in the southern part and uh, Galilee is in the north. Samaria happens to be smack dab in between the two of these. If you were walking from Jerusalem to Samaria, you got about a 22 to 23 hour walk if you're hoofing it at a pretty decent pace. So, you know, later when it says that Jesus was weary from the, the walk and it's about the noon hour, it's the sixth hour, you know they probably started walking that morning at about 6 a.m. They've been walking for six hours, very, very likely. That's conjecture, but I would certainly assume that that's what they did. They would get up and they would try and walk in the cool of the day before high noon, so to speak. And so he's weary. They probably didn't have any food with them at that point because they'd probably been traveling for a couple of days. And so the disciples moved on in and Jesus sits down. So that's kind of geographically where things are. Verse 4 indicates he needed to go through Samaria. I would pose to you, how did Jesus know that? And I think there is tremendous implication for you and I. How did he know he had to go through Samaria? I'll even put it out there now. How did he know that she spoke truthfully when she said she had no husband? And then he said, you've had five. And the man that you now have is not your husband. How did he know that? 
Because I think sometimes we think immediately that he knew that because he's God. Right? That makes sense. That's not how he knew that. Because Philippians tells us that his Godhead or his Godhood, he set aside. And he became fully man. He was fully God, but he laid no claim to it. So he did not use his omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresence to ascertain information ahead of time. I want you to know something. That's good news for you and me. Why is that good news for you and me? Because he is an example of what a life can be like in the spirit. If you and I would be like Jesus and spend time with our Father, remember what Jesus said? When you pray, go into your closet, close the door behind you, and pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who is in the secret place sees you, he will reward you openly. I, think, I believe some of the rewards that the Father wants to reward us with is that we will get to participate in the ministry and seeing lives transformed for the kingdom of God. Jesus made it a habit to go away to a solitary place, oftentimes praying all night, communicating with his Father. And the beauty of this is the Father was communicating with him. He says, and you can, you, we'll, we'll come across it in chapters to come, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. How many times did he say, I only speak what I have seen with the Father. I only do those things that I have seen with the Father. I only speak what I have heard from the Father. Time and time and time again. If he only speaks what he has seen with the Father, then when he has the conversation with the woman at the well, you know that he has already seen that conversation. So he has information, intel, and he uses it to bring this woman to the gospel, the good news to in an encounter with the Father through the Son. And so that's, that's it's powerful. So he had information. And we're told that Jews don't associate with Samaritans, and there's good reason why. In fact, I say there's good reason. There's probably no good reason. But in the flesh, there's good reason. Let me give, let me give a little bit of information here just about the Samaritans so that you would understand, perhaps in a greater measure, maybe you already understand you know, the conflict between the Samaritans. But when Israel split into two nations, there was the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and then there were the northern ten tribes. It was because after Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam became king. And the northern tribes complained to him that they were being uh, by his father, excised a lot of taxes, and they were high taxes. And they said, hey, give us a little bit of relief on these taxes. And Rehoboam's like, okay, let me call the elders together. And the elders said, yeah, you should probably pay attention to that and lower their taxes. And he says, okay, well, that's all right advice, I guess, but let me talk to some of my peers. And so he calls a bunch of his buddies that are the same age as him, and they say, what do you guys say? This is what the elders say. What do you guys say? They say, uh, yeah, no. How about like we raise the taxes and hammer those cats? And he's like, that sounds like a pretty good idea to me. And Rehoboam says, yeah, no, we're not lowering the taxes. We're raising the taxes. And it was stiff. And the folks north said, adios, amigo. Split. 
and under Jeroboam, who became king of the north, who set up his kingdom in Ephraim, which is, in, which is part of Samaria, they established false worship. They accepted only the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They even modified that. And all kinds of things transpired. That was in, in fact, that was about 800 B.C. The prophet Isaiah prophesies about them and says, uh, in 65 years they will cease to exist as a people that the Assyrians would swoop in. And in 722 B.C., that's exactly what happened. Assyria came down and completely took over the northern tribes. And what the Assyrians' practice was is not to eliminate or destroy or kill all the people, but they would fractionalize the people and bring in other groups of people that they had conquered and kind of force intermixing. And so they ended up with this group of people that were mutts, if you will. Yeah, no more purebred Jews in the north. Then to make matters worse, when the northern or the southern tribe of Judah, they were misbehaving also because they weren't giving the Lord's uh, Sabbath of the land every seven years and not planting, what happens? God says through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, hey, I'm going to get my 70 years of Sabbath. And so for the number of years that they had not honored the Sabbath year, 490 years they hadn't been doing this, God says, you're going to go into captivity. And he raised up Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar that brought the southern tribe into captivity for 70 years. And during those days, it was Jeremiah, it was Ezekiel, and the prophet Daniel, who was a very young man when he went into exile, and he was taken into the Chaldean schools because he showed great potential. At the end of the 70 years, Daniel sees that it's coming to an end, and he gives prophecy, and they are released when the, the Medes through Cyrus the king, you can read a little bit about that ahead of time in uh, Isaiah chapter 45. They came in and conquered without even a battle and took all those cats and said, Daniel, in fact, Josephus tells us that Daniel showed him the scroll of Isaiah where his name was referenced and that he would help them rebuild the temple. And then we come into the books of Nehemiah and Ezra and these people being released, the post-exilics. And as they're going past Samaria, the Samaritans came out and said, hey, we're Jews too, man. Let us help you in the rebuild. And the guys were like, uh, yeah, no. And so Samaria was just infuriated that they couldn't be included. And so there's this massive strife Get a little closer. Uh, it was during the days of Alexander the Great. During the Alexander the Great, Sanballat, how many of you remember the name Sanballat, right? He was one of the chief, chief adversaries of Nehemiah's reconstruction of the city. And, uh, well, his, his grandson or his uh, son was uh, commissioned, if you will, by Alexander the Great, who wanted to conquer Israel. And uh, he said, yeah, set up a temple and gave them rights to build a temple on Mount Gerizim, the mountain that she's referring to. You Jews say in Jerusalem, we say here on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. And so the construction began. And during the Maccabean revolt in the 100 mid mid-second century, how many of you know the Maccabean revolt? You might read the story, uh, Maccabees, 
1 and Maccabees 2, you'll learn about the Maccabean family and uh, John uh, Hycranus and John Hycranus I and his exploits. I mean, it's just absolutely fascinating Jewish history. And he went up onto Mount Gerizim and burned it to the ground. And so the Samaritans are like, we hate the Jews. And the Jews are like, we hate you. And they did because the Samaritans were mutts and they had completely destroyed the true worship of God in the Old Testament that we have in the canon of Scripture, the law and the prophets. And they had completely destroyed that and set up idolatrous worship. And so Jesus cuts through the chase. And I say that to say God wants to break through in this time in America where there's a political strife between people groups. It's wrong. A nation divided against itself cannot stand. You may have religious differences or in this case where there's this blended group of people, you may have racial prejudice working even in you to this day. It ought not be. We're the children of God. He's the Prince of Peace. And he has come to make peace. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker for Jesus? I love that there's tact in Jesus' communication. Have you been on Facebook before when there's not tact used? <laughs> Has that been you? <laughs> it's been me. I've, I've, I've approached it with no tact or thinking I'm so clever and then only to realize like that was not clever at all. That was absolutely stupid. Don't say that again. Erase, 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 erase. <laughs> Jesus speaks with tact. Let me, say this, let me say it this way. We read... In our English, give me a drink. But if we would just look at the Greek and how that Greek give is actually spoken, he is saying, gift me a glass of water, please. Gift me. Everybody say, gift me. Gift me. Would you, would you grant me something that I don't have the means wherewith to get? Would you gift me? It's polite and kind. And it comes out very interestingly even in his conversation. He says, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me and I would have gifted you, given you living water. There's tact in his dialogue. And that comes from wisdom. And that comes from spending time with the Father so that even his language was carefully chosen. When he says to the woman, what you have said is true. Do you know that she is not only a Samaritan, she's a woman, she's a Samaritan, but Samaria is an area, but she's from the city of Sychar. Sychar translated is liar. <laughs> I think it's just tactful that he says, you Sicarian, you liar, are actually saying the truth when you say you have no husband. But what you're not saying is the rest of the story. You're not telling the rest of the story. 
So there's truth in the statement that you made, but in fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. So she's a woman, she's Sicarian, she's a Samaritan, <laughs> she's a liar, because she's not telling the whole truth, so to speak. The man she's living with is not her husband, which is implying that it's probably somebody else's, makes her an adulteress. She's probably been a fornicator, which means she was having sex before marriage, because even at this point, I mean, the fellow either A, isn't, you know, he's either somebody else's husband or isn't, they're not married, which would be to be fornication or adultery. I mean, she is, she's way down, and then she's this, you know, mudded group of people, if you want to, that's probably the wrong terminology, so forgive me for that, but, uh, and, and religiously confused completely. So, I mean, we're understanding she is bottom, 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 bottom. And listen, I want you to understand something real quickly, too. Jesus probably knew this well. And what I mean by that, this woman, this woman was an outcast. The scripture bears out, she came to the well, and who was with her? No one. No one. She came at the sixth hour, that's noon. Now, good theology, always good hermeneutics, how we interpret the Word of God is we let the Word of God interpret the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Because we're not very good at it. So we let God's Word do it of itself. I, I, I've read lots of commentaries that say, you know, the women would come out in the morning. But the Scripture says the women would come out in the evening to the well to draw water. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 24 when Abraham sent his servant out to find a bride for his son Isaac. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. The father sends the servant, the unknown servant, to find a bride for his son. God the father has sent the spirit to find a bride for his son. It's you and me. It's really cool. But it's in there in the 11th verse that it said it was evening when he had his camels kneel down at the well the time when the women came to draw water. She came at a time when no other women would come. She is, she is a social outcast. She's a social outcast, and Jesus is connecting with her. That says something to you and me, to look for the lowly, the downtrodden. But God, God puts them in our pathways. I told you, maybe I told you, I told the men at the men's breakfast um, and I'm going to, we'll, we'll stop there because it's after the time we're supposed to end, but we'll pick back up in chapter five and we'll finish the sermon next week. Let me end with this. I didn't tell you this story. I told the men, but we, there were a handful of us that uh, we weren't even where we were supposed to be. We were supposed to be at a lunch, or we were supposed to get lunch at 1130 that day and it was already two o'clock and we had tasks to do, and so we ended up like, let's just grab a quick bite to eat at McDonald's. So we were gonna drive through the drive-thru, and I realized there's, <laughs> there's three other guys in the car. I know what my order is like at McDonald's. The person probably wants to wring my neck by the time I get to the window because it's just so confusing. Anyway, so, and I knew these other cats in the car, they got like specialties that they wanna do with their order. I said, all right, we'll just go inside, but let's just get in there quickly, get our orders, and get back in the car so we can get going. So I got my order, I'm the first one to order, and I get mine to go, and you know, it was confusing, blah, 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 I won't even tell you the story, it was kind of funny. but. Uh, next guys go, and some of them got their stuff to, to eat there because they didn't see or catch the memo, which was just perfect because God's ordaining our steps, amen? 
The footsteps of the righteous are ordered to the Lord. And so we, I'm like, oh, okay, we'll just eat here. And so we're halfway through our meal, and a guy comes in that's identifiably someone who is homeless. Not because he was unkept or anything. He, was, he probably looked a little bit rough around the edges, unshaven and so forth. But he had a big backpack, which was a dead giveaway. And uh, he, was, he didn't buy any food. He just went right over with his cup, got some water, came and sat down. He just needed a place to sit. And he had been walking. So the Spirit of God immediately, as I saw him come through the door, I knew we're going to have a conversation with this guy. So I, I got up. I went to go get some uh, Coke, but he had already made his way around. And so I went back over to his seat and I said, hey, friend, where are you sleeping tonight? He said, I don't have a place to sleep. I said, well, let me help you with that. I said, we help with the warming centers. We have a lot of volunteers out of our church. I said, I'd be happy to do that. And about that time, I called John over. And by the, by the time I called John, Matt had already gotten up, and he was ordering food for this guy. I had no idea we were going to order this guy a feast. But I told John, I said, hey, let's go get a burger and a, you know, some fries or something like that. And Matt comes back over with this full bag. It was a huge bag. I don't know how many sandwiches that guy had in that thing, but it was a ton of food. Anyway, all that to say, uh, for the next two days... We spent time with our friend, David Waddle, who had only been in Portland for four months the night before he had spent down at the Greyhound bus station where he was robbed. His social security money and his cell phone and a few other items were taken from him. And he had begun, he said, Portland is not a place for me. It's not safe. And so he started walking. This is a 47-year-old man who's had two triple heart two triple bypass heart surgeries, and a number of other things. He's had a couple of strokes. He's functioning, but he, he, he started walking. He finally pitched up, set up a sleeping bag on the side of a road, and made his way to the Gladstone McDonald's the next morning, when we, or next afternoon when we were there. We took him and got him a tent, got him a new sleeping bag, and got him a tarp. Uh, John contacted one of our other deacons and said, you know, is it in our benevolence bund to, uh, budget to buy these items? And if possible, could we put him in a hotel? We, we ended up putting it, you ended up putting him in a hotel. And uh, we picked him up the next morning. It ended up being next afternoon. Took him over to Southeast Works. Found out that he actually had someone in his family that wanted him to come home. And home for him was Dallas, Texas. So you bought him a bus ticket and put him on a bus at six o'clock that night. I said, when we departed, I said, you have my phone number. Will you keep in touch? He said, I will. He knew Jesus. He quoted the scripture. And uh, he called me on Tuesday to tell me that he's at his aunt's house. He's under a roof. And he said, please tell your church that their investment in me was not in vain. He says, I'm looking for a home church right here in Dallas, Texas. And he says, I'm looking for work. And we're, we're, we're becoming friends. And I'm saying that to say, God's ordaining our footsteps. And he wants to move in and through you and me. And there are, there are folks that you and I are going to encounter today, tomorrow, and the next day, all the way through till next Sunday, that God wants to do something miraculous through us, the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet. Jesus said we must go through Samaria. I would suggest to you that you will have an agenda on Monday, you will have an agenda on Tuesday, you will have an agenda on Wednesday. How much of that have you passed before the Father who might want to interrupt the sermon? <laughs> who might 
want to interrupt your agenda and insert his. I think if we would take our agendas before the Lord, he might reveal that to us in advance. If you, if you read John chapter 10 and John chapter 16, when he talks about the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will not speak on his own his behalf, but he'll speak those things that he has heard. And he will show you things to come or he will tell you things to come. He wants to do that. Then your agenda wouldn't have to be messed up, so to speak. It would already be in sync, right? All right, let's be, let's, be, let's be ready. Let's be ready. Well, we'll pick up the rest of the uh, Samaritan story next week. Will you stand with me this morning? I've gone long, partly because there was just a lot happening this morning. And Reuben, that was a beautiful testimony of God's work and the healing work that the Lord has done in your life. And if you're here this morning and you are seeking healing from the Lord, we are believing God with you and for you. Let's close in a word of prayer and uh, that we would receive God's benediction. And let's be the peacemakers. God wants to break through all the barriers, whether it's a social barrier, like Jesus just cut right through. He's not, rabbis don't even talk to their wives publicly. And he's talking to not just a woman, a Sicarian, Samaritan, yada, 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 yada woman, right? And he's just like, no, I'm bringing peace here. This, this is how it works in the kingdom of God. We break through the barriers, break through the political barriers, break through the racial barriers, break through all of the barriers in your family. If there's strife in your family, if there's bitterness in your family because of things that have happened in your life, I would suggest to you, if you have bitterness in any relation, whether it's family, family of God, any people group, work, boss, whatever it is, you have bitterness. Remember that the children of Israel, when they came to the bitter waters of Myra, the people began to drink and it was poisonous water. It was bitter. And Moses prayed and God showed him a tree. And so Moses brought the bitter waters to the tree or put the tree in the bitter waters and made the bitter waters sweet. I would submit to you that the cross is the tree. And if we would bring the bitter waters to the tree, he'll make them sweet. He'll make them sweet because he cuts through and he's the prince of peace. He'll bring peace in that situation in your life and in the lives of others that are involved. Does that make sense? we got to bring it to Jesus, guys. Let's bring it to Jesus. Father, we love you and we give you thanks. Thanks for the word of God. Thanks for the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who modeled for us so that we would know and that we could walk in these things. Lord, help us to break down the barriers. Even as Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, said, he is our peace who has broken down every wall. He is our peace who has broken down every wall. And he's made the many one. In him there is neither male nor female. There is slave nor free, Scythian or barbarian. We are all one, brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, may we break through and see people come to Jesus like we saw the woman at the well and the Samaritan people as a result. God be glorified. May we have your benediction. May we go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And may, Lord, we have an epic week in Christ. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' strong name, and everyone said a strong amen. amen. Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week in Jesus. God bless you.